But by far, Facebook ads accounts for about 90% of, of the pledges that came outside of Kickstarter. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. Currently, we are offering a special early bird discount of $400 for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. Don't wait on this one, guys. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. Last fall in Bangkok, I was attending a conference full of entrepreneurs from around the globe. There were around 250 attendees, and out of all of them, just a few really stuck out to me. There were a few guys running around in yellow t-shirts that said, improve your sleep at DCBKK conference. They were then handing out free sleep masks to the attendees. Mark Zhang was one of those guys. He was using an excellent marketing technique to beta test his Mantis sleep mask. Fast forward to today, Mark and his team launched a Kickstarter for Mantis sleep mask at attracting 16,000 backers and raising over $475,000. Today, you will learn exactly how he did this. Welcome, Mark, to the podcast. How are you today? Good. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show, my friend. And I hear you're calling in from Taipei. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, just here uh, getting some business done. Yeah. And you mentioned briefly what you like about the city. Tell us why you're there. Um, so a couple of reasons. Uh, my business partner is actually mostly based out of here. Uh-huh. Um, the people are really nice. It's a modern city compared to some of the places in Southeast Asia. So you have access if you're used to that, if, you know, if you're in the States or Canada. Um, and also there's a lot of talent here. Um, people tend to, you can find people who speak English relatively good. Um, and some of them like the Team members that we have, they can they can write perfect English because they've been to the states for school, and uh, the labor cost is not as high as the states. Just a great place to be for an entrepreneur. And food is amazing. Yeah, and you mentioned the cost is cheaper. The labor cost is cheaper for you, but it's higher than the average salary for them, right? Yes. So the good thing is we can come in here as a U.S. Uh, U.S. based business pay the people better than they would be getting at most of the larger corporations here in Taiwan and then still be saving uh, in terms of cost um, from the labor perspective compared to the states. It's such a great thing to do. You know, the new way, new business models and thought processes around that, it, it just blows my mind. And it goes, yeah. it goes back to the old idea of earn dollars, live on pesos and pay in rupees. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, but it's just... Like I, I feel like there's a I, when I used to hear the story, I feel like I'm exploiting like the, usually the stories about the Philippines or something like that. But the thing is, like we actually pay and people you can come here pay them better than what they would get paid locally. Yeah, and still good de- uh, good deal for the business. I have a developer that I pay ten dollars an hour out of the Ukraine, and he's a good developer. And you know, I yeah. have I have no idea what I would be paying in the United States because I never hired American one, but I definitely know it wouldn't be ten dollars an hour. And it's just <laughs> that's for sure. Okay, so let's hop into the show, Mark. We've got some really exciting things to talk about. Your recent Kickstarter launch that had amazing results, and the businesses that you're running. Let's start off with you, my friend, and tell us how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. 
I grew up in a family with no entrepreneurs. I went to school in Canada. I'm Canadian. Uh, and I did an accounting major. So for most of my life up until when I was about 18 or 19 years old, the concept of entrepreneurship isn't even like I never heard of anything like that. I was planning to first I tried to be a um, um, a computer programmer like my dad was. That was <laughs> totally didn't work out. And then I went into business uh, major but didn't know what I wanted to do. Just took accounting course, uh, a major because everybody else was doing it. It was when I was in my 19 or 20, when I was 20 years old, a friend of mine, elementary school friend of mine, passed away from leukemia. And that experience kind of just gave me a shock and it, and it made me realize and really reflect, you know, if I, if I were to, to, to go outside tomorrow, get hit by a car and die, I didn't really want to spend the last uh, day of my life working at the accounting firm that I was working at the time. And so that kind of kickstarted this journey where, uh, I left uh, Canada, went to the States for a little bit, and then started traveling around and kind of exploring. And then one of the things that uh, I remember from when I was 18 years old, my dad got me this iPod. I downloaded an audiobook called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that stuff just, just came back. And I was thinking, hey, maybe this is something that I could do. Um, and that's kind of what started this entire journey. Is this the first business that you started, or did you have some other things you dabbled in? Uh, no, this is this is probably the fourth or fifth uh, business okay. that I've started. I've I've done a lot of random stuff in the past what, what were eight the years. Other, what was the other stuff you did? Uh, the first so 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 when I was twenty, I, I I don't know if you remember back in the days when Google AdWords was two cents a click. Oh yeah, uh, I did an affiliate. Yeah, I did an affiliate marketing. No skills, no optimization, no copywriting. I just put up a uh, like a wholesale review site, and you know. Uh, ran a bunch of Google AdWords and, and made like a hundred grand over a year or two years. So that was the first experience. But then everything went downhill after that. I think I just <laughs> got really lucky until probably in the past two years when when our current business really started taking off. Um, so after that, the first real business was called Slip Soccer. I also did a Kickstarter. This was like in back in 2012. Uh, it's a anti-slip case for your iPhone. Mm-hmm. After that, I started another business called Pergo, which is a natural bamboo charcoal air purifier. That thing is still going strong now. And then just a few random things. I tried to take some U.S. business models and apply it to in other countries like in Singapore. But uh, most of those have, or all of those have failed spectacularly. So <laughs> it's dead. But it made you the entrepreneur that you are today. Huh? <laughs> it, it certainly helped. Yeah, uh, in terms of gathering experience. Mark recently launched a Kickstarter that did really, really well. And before we dive into that, I do want to talk about your current business and your business model because I think it's important and interesting how different people and companies structure things. But basically, the parents, would you call it a parent company, Vansberg Labs? Yeah, Vansberg is just kind of like a holding name that we use. And it yeah. holds two other companies under it? It holds two um, business units, if you will. So one business unit is um, our Amazon business, mm-hmm. which has a, lo- a whole bunch of different products. And it's also got Pergo, the one that I launched, uh, the bamboo charcoal air purifier. Mm-hmm. And then the other business unit is Mantis Sleep, which is the um, sleep brand uh, and the one that we just recently f- wrapped up the Kickstarter campaign for. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this division is because um, – you know, I've been working on this business for the last couple of years with my business partner, Ben, and about a year and a half ago, uh, we realized that we, we, we've always been in physical products, 
we but we realized that we've just been waking up trying to make new products for the sake of making money. It's not like that we're, we're, we're making a bank or anything like that, but we just felt like there was no direction. We're just creating products based on opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then Mantis Sleep was a lot of soul searching uh, about a year, year and a half ago, where we said, you know, what is something that we can use our existing skills to work on, but is something that we can actually put our energy and life behind for the next five to 10 years. And this thing came about because I've been a light sleeper for most of my life, and it's just something that I'm really, um, really interested in. And I, all of the products uh, I use on a daily basis. So that's kind of where the company is transitioning towards. I think in the next three or four, five years, all of everybody in the business is going to be behind Mantis Sleep because that's the that's the future. And explain to us what Mantis Sleep is or the products that you guys sell. So we launched a uh, sleep mask. Um, it's a modular sleep mask. And uh, so the idea here is to basically, I see a lot of products on the market related to sleep that I know we can do a better job at designing. Ben is an industrial designer. And I've used a sleep mask for the past 15 years of my life. There's always something I didn't like about some parts of the most of the products on the market, if not all of them, probably all of them. And so I thought, you know, with the skills and the experience that we have with Ben's industrial design, we could do something better. And so, yeah, so the first product we launched is Mantis Sleep Mask. And that's the one we just finished the Kickstarter campaign. And last time I saw Mark was in Bangkok, and we were both at a conference together. And Mark was running around with the sleep mask and his bright yellow <laughs> shirts, handing them out. Yeah. What did the shirt say? Didn't it say "Ask me about my sleep mask"? It was like, uh, "Did you want to? Yeah, did you want to get better sleep, or do you want to take a nap at DCBKK or something?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't even remember. <laughs> that was the very beginning of your promotions, right? Well, that we have actually been working on the product for about six months prior to that. That was okay. just because I love the DC, the Dynamite Circle community, and it's just really cool to get some you know, real-life feedback. we never really done that with a product before. Uh, and so this time, I remember hearing a story when I was in Singapore. Some guy like created this new sex toy, like this wireless vibrating dildo <laughs> or something. And he ran around to these conferences and <laughs> basically like, asked people to touch it. I was like, well, that's, that's really cool. And so it was like literally two weeks before DCBAK, we thought, let's do it. Let's just bring a bunch, give it to people, see what they say. Mm-hmm. And it, it turned out to be a, a fantastic idea. How was the feedback from the crowd? You know, before going there, you know, we thought this was the, a really damn good product. And after we went there and gave it, gave it to about 100 people, um, I would say 30 to 40% of them said this was the best sleep mask they've ever used wow. in their life. So that's, to me, that's a pretty high percentage. And that was just another step in validating this idea. I mean, we were super excited after we came back mm-hmm. just because, I mean, we didn't raise any money at that time, but we were just like, wow, people actually found this product to be cool and they loved it. So that was very encouraging. Okay, so the, take us through the process, Mark. So after you left the conference, what did you guys start to implement to the point where you were ready for the Kickstarter? So at that point, we actually got some really good product feedback. We changed up some mechanisms in terms of how the eyepieces are attached in the mask after Kickstarter. It's uh, Sorry, after DCBKK, the conference. I think you know we're, we're working on this product all the time. We're kind of blind to some of the the... the areas of the product that's weak so when we bring it to people you know the, the feedback was immediate so all of those quote-unquote bugs were fixed um before launching the campaign and then after that was just a matter of 
getting the campaign creatives together, getting the pre-launch list together, and this is my third Kickstarter campaign, so it wasn't. So there's a, a set of procedures that I had in mind to follow already. Okay, gotcha. When was the launch? The actual launch date? Oh, I can't remember. It's uh, I think it was May, early May of this year. Okay, and yeah. you guys invested around fifty thousand to pull out about four hundred seventy-five thousand. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And I recently read the article that, that you wrote about this. Can you take us through the process and the, the steps that you guys worked through to create such a successful Kickstarter? Sure. So um, I guess the 80-20 of this is to, number one, to build a pre-launch email list however you can. You can go outside and talk to people. You can get influencers. The way we did it was through Facebook ads. We set up a landing page, collected a bunch of emails, about 2,000 emails. And then the next step is to launch the campaign and then use those email addresses to create lookalike audiences in Facebook advertising. So this is the biggest um, ROI for us. And I've tried a lot of different things over the past three campaigns. We're talking about you know pitching to media, influencer marketing, writing articles, you know content strategy to try to get gather emails, um, all sorts of things. And none of them have been as, uh, could not scale up as much as this could have. And none of them were as predictable because, you know, pitching PR into journalism bloggers, it's hard to say whether they're going to cover it or not. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just suck at it. That, that, that could very much <laughs> be a reason. But it never worked for, for us. And so this time, we got the pre-launch email list and we started running Facebook ads immediately after that started. And so that's based off of the email list that we had gathered. And as you're going through, new um the backers are starting to get to come in right mm-hmm. the thing with kickstarter is you cannot get access to that email address of the backer until the end of the campaign so a buddy of mine from san francisco shared this really amazing uh, trick that we used which is you set up a google form and you send out a mini survey basically the, the moment they pledge you say hey you know we're really trying to um, plan out shipping would be great if you could let us know where your region, you know, you know the, the rough area you're in, the state, the country. And then at the end, you ask them for their email address. And then you can actually take that email address and stick it back nice. into another campaign to create another lookalike audience off of that. And wow. it performs better than the one from the email because these are people who have just pledged, right? right. And Facebook does a really good job of matching it up with um other people who are more likely to buy. And that was essentially it. We, I mean, we tried a bunch of other stuff as well during the campaign with content marketing. We tried, um, um, we tried to pitch a bunch of stories. We got some coverage. But by far, kick, kick, uh, by far Facebook ads accounts for about 90% of the, um, of the pledges that came outside of Kickstarter. Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher level entrepreneurs to bring you some applicable tactics for your business. October 26th through November 24th, we will have our most impactful event ever. Four weeks in the northern mountains of Thailand with other successful entrepreneurs that have six and seven figures in annual revenue in their businesses. The experience includes private accommodations, workshops, masterminds, advisors, high speed Wi-Fi at a beautiful resort complex. And for our listeners, we have a special $400 early bird discount for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. So if you're ready to seriously take your business to the next level, contact us at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now back to the show. 
How long did it take you and how much did you invest into Facebook ads before you started seeing the returns? It was almost immediate. Really? So the, like the first two days after I started spending money, um, it started being a positive. We were spending, so Facebook ads tend to get more expensive over time because it served to the better audiences first before it gets kind of degraded to the people who are less likely to buy. Mm-hmm. But we were always profitable, and when we started, it was about spending a dollar to make about 80 cents. Mm-hmm. And then I would usually pause the Facebook ad set or ads around uh, when we're spending a dollar to make 30 cents. Uh, and this is a 30 cents profit, like after all of the fees, all of the product and the estimated shipping costs and all of that. And the promotions that you talked about, Mark, was that when you were using the emails from the people that had bought it off the Kickstarter already? Into cross no, so promo- the cross-promotion um, is the cross-promotion is once you get a few backers, like a couple hundred, you can start reaching out to other Kickstarter projects to cross-promote because okay. you have to send out updates. Um, you don't have to, but it's recommended that you send out updates to your own backers at a regular interval. And it's always good to say at the bottom, hey, you know, these are some cool projects. Check it out. Um, it, it doesn't cost anything except for some of your time. Uh, we have somebody on the team manages process, and it almost always brings in a bunch of pledges without any significant cost. So we had about, like I think, 500 people come through that throughout the duration of the campaign. Now that you've finished the campaign, what did you learn about this campaign that you would do differently? That's a that's a great question. Uh, I actually after after the campaign we had a uh, post game analysis where we really uh, took a look at what what we did right and what we did wrong. I think if I were to do this campaign all over again, the first thing is I'm not going to spend any of the team's time and effort on the other things that we were trying. And we've tried a lot of things. We were trying Instagram marketing, content marketing, pitching all of this stuff. Um, the ROI on those just wasn't good. I'm not saying they don't work uh, because I have seen my friends who use them very effectively. It just didn't work for us. And then there's a bunch of optimizations that I would also change for Kickstarter. I probably wouldn't have built as big of a uh, pre-launch email list. It was helpful in terms of um, getting that initial momentum, but the conversion from the email actually wasn't that good. It was only about 10% or something like that. It wasn't worth the money. And the final thing, which we've actually since changed for our Indiegogo in-demand campaign to continue raising money after the Kickstarter, um, is to structure the pricing a little bit better. You really want to, again, this is a tip from a buddy of mine, Vincent Ng from San Francisco, shout out, which is to, the, the, the way that we initially structure the pricing didn't encourage people to get two of the masks. But now we've changed it so that it makes no, it makes no sense to get one. Like most people would get two. That increases the average order value, uh, which is awesome because it increases profit. What are some other tidbits, Mark, that you could share about the Kickstarter? Um, I think I think the most important thing, having done a few of these, is everybody's got a different way to make things successful. Um, I think, you know, if I were to give some, you know, like broad or generic strokes of advice regarding Kickstarter campaign is just to try things out yourself. Um, I wouldn't necessarily attribute all of this, if not most of this, to our genius because I think we got lucky in a lot of instances. For example, the product is something with a mass appeal. 
It's also relatively low in price point, about $20, $30, so it's an impulse buy. So I think that's part of the reason why the Facebook ads um, worked so well and was profitable from the get-go. If you're trying to Kickstarter something obscure, uh, these kind of strategies might not work, and maybe pitching PR and bloggers would be a, a better ROI. And here's the most important question. Are you sleeping better with a mask, Mark? <laughs> I've been using it for I've been using it for over a year now. I love it. Um, every night. So absolutely, yes, I'm sleeping better. Very cool. What's next for you guys? Next up um, is just to scale this up. We're already designing additional modules because uh, this sleep mask is a modular concept. Mm-hmm. So those hopefully will launch later in the year. And yeah, so hopefully we'll be able to scale this up to maybe seven figures this year. But Definitely, I think it would be doable for this brand for next year. So here's one more question. So you invested 50000 raised 475000 What type of profit will you guys pull off of that? I think I haven't done the detailed calculations for this yet. So I can tell you that for our other our Amazon business and, and Pergo and whatnot. Um, I, the reason why I haven't done the calculations is because we're still waiting on the shipping costs. But a rough estimate, I would say about 30%. Nice. Yep. Congratulations. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Anything else you want to add before we sign off today, Mark? No, that's that's it. If the listeners want to reach out to you or learn more about the Manta Sleep Mask, where's the best place they can do that? Uh, for Manta Sleep, they can just go to Manta Sleep. That's M-A-N-T-A sleep.com, one word. And to reach out to me, you can use hello at markzang.me. And Mark, it's spelled M-A-R-K and then Z-H-A-N-G dot me. So hello at markzang.me. Mark, we have to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks with us. We really appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chris. And listeners, we're going to sign off there. Thank you guys for joining us once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six- and seven-figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day-to-day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.